how can you be part of a religious community that straight up sometimes it feels like the church is trying to hold the church seems to be stuck in their ways when the rest of the why are they so obsessed they keep trying to get answers i would never be a part of a church that is not welcoming the church is the most vocal political voice against some churches still the one they claim that worship was the actual how can your story be good news when the majority of people on the church end up going to hell when the rest of the like, culture how is that actually It seems like so much of the church is more concerned with being a good American anti-critical than they are being a good homophobic, too narrow, judgmental, disconnected from what is truly happening in the real world. Ah, <sighs> the church needs therapy. Welcome to the newest episode of The Church Needs Therapy. We are approaching the end of the year. It's December 12th when I'm recording this. I might actually release this today after I record it, actually, now that I think about it. But I had this thought yesterday as we end the year. I said, I want to record an Advent sermon and a Christmas sermon for people without church right now. Of course, people who are part of great, healthy, loving churches who also listen to this, that's great. Of course, it's for you too. It's for everybody. But also, I just think about people who don't have churches, who don't have communities right now, who are in that in-between space that I've talked about here before. You know, despite the issues, the critiques you have, you know, there's so many great things you experience in church. You know, the rituals, the candle lighting, the people you're around, the the inspiring or moving sermons that remind you of who you are and that you're not alone. And all of these things we can miss out on as we're finding our way forward. So I just thought I'm going to record an Advent sermon for those people, which is also for everybody. And here we are. And I want to say one thing about this sermon before I begin. For people who are deconstructing, changing, evolving, critiquing the system, finding their way forward, wherever you're at on that spectrum, or wherever you're at in your own experience of that, everything can't be about dismantling broken systems, right? Everything can't be about fighting the old. Everything can't be a critique of what is. Everything can't be about disentangling and dismantling and having issues with the old. The reason why I say that is you still have a heart and a life and relationships and dreams and healing to do and things to create and growth to step into, right? So during this Advent season, there's so many great sermons, books, and podcasts about the revolutionary nature of Christmas, the social dimensions of Advent, the Magnificat with Mary, the King who would come and upend all of these systems of power. And I believe all that. And I'm sure I've preached versions of some of those things myself. And that's awesome. And we need those things. But when I prepare this sermon, we're also still people. And I care about the day-to-day felt experience and lived reality of people. So even though there are absolutely cosmic and social realities of Christmas, I wanted to give an Advent sermon and then perhaps next week a Christmas sermon about the deeply personal nature of Christmas as well. Right? Your own transformation, your own life, your own 
ability to experience love and have hope. Because no matter how hard someone fights to dismantle broken systems and overcome systemic injustice and all of those things, you still have Tuesday afternoons and the struggles of real life. So here's where I want to begin, right? The Advent Sermon. I want you to think of a song. Think of a song that's really, really meaningful to you at any stage of your life. A song that has spoken deeply to you. A song you have great memories with. A song that you love, right? Just think about those songs right now. Because I have these songs, right? And if I were to ask you why this song, what you would probably do is tell us a story or give us a context, an environment of where this song was living and existing in your life, right? We ask why that song? You let us know about what was happening to you in your life, the things you were celebrating, the things you were struggling with relationships, events, pain, change, transitions. And only then could we truly grasp why that song was so important and meaningful for you, right? As you think about some of those things, I have my own versions, right? Some of them are more simple and innocent. Like there's a song on Dr. Dre's Chronic 2001, Explosive, right? Explosive. I'm not going to say the rest of it. But when I think of that song and that album, it's freshman year of high school. I'm going to high school parties for the first time. I'm hearing Dre's Chronic 2001 in virtually every car. Not literally, but it's everywhere, right? Every car, every party. It's constant. It's all That was the album of that first four months of my freshman year. So Explosive is the beginning of my high school days and and parting. I can think about this corrupt song, Ride With Us. I don't know if you ever heard it. Do you want to ride with us? Ride with us. Don't mind my voice. But that song is freshman year. That was the song we came out to in basketball. So that was the song playing as we came out and warmed up. So again, it's this introduction to this whole new world in high school and this whole new experience. Or all of like the, you know, the J-Lo song with Ja Rule, because I'm real. That, that one, that's me trying also. That's junior year of high school, going to parties. I first met a girl who was a friend who would eventually become my wife, Christine. That was the parties we went to when our friendship and relationship was developing and it was all Ja Rule and Ashanti and, J- and J-Lo and all the parties. Like that's that song is that era, right? Or, you know, as I get older pastoring, you know, Modest Yahoo has a song called Live Like a Warrior. And it makes me think of some of the first really hard things I dealt with pastoring and and feeling those and grieving over things. Or Alicia Keys song, The Empire State of Mind Part 2. You know, the, the New York song, but it's her piano version of it. That was first finding out about a publishing deal I had. Going to New York to an event. And it just felt like I was stepping into a whole new season of my life. And Or Leonard Cohen's song, Hallelujah. Right, My favorite version of Leonard Cohen's Hallelujah is sung by Jennifer Hudson and Tori Kelly. 
it's on one of the sing soundtracks which is funny but it's an amazing version and that song was a defining song for me when we were making the decision about two years ago to close down our church there's something about like agony in that song but also celebration that holds together the whole experience of this was a great experience with imagine it's hard to transit to to end it but it's also good somehow like that song is that story that's how songs work so often that are powerful and it's understanding how a song fits within a larger story that gives it so much meaning and makes it so powerful and the song for advent oh come oh come emmanuel i love that's one of my favorite songs we ever sang in church O come, O come, Emmanuel. It's a song that only makes sense, is only able to be experienced when it's understood as a part of a bigger Advent story. Advent, which is the season we're in leading up to Christmas, is the long season of the Israelites waiting for the Messiah to come and make things right. Advent is a time of waiting. Advent is a time of praying and hoping and longing for God to enter into our real life circumstances and redeem and restore and to make things right. Do you know between the last book of the Old Testament and the first gospel of Mark is a 500 year gap? Now you don't think about that just because you can turn a page, but there's 500 years between the last book of the Old Testament and the gospel of Mark. That's 500 hundred years of waiting by the Israelites, 500 years of wondering, 500 years of having to decide whether they can keep going or keep hoping or just accept that no one's coming for them. There is no King Savior who's coming and they have to figure it out on their own. That's 500 years. We can't even, and today we can't even wait 500 seconds Think about how frustrated you get when your phone is taking long to just send a picture to a friend, right? It's like still not delivered. We're like, this sucks. You know, we just want to shut our phone off. You know, 500 seconds, we, we use a microwave because we don't want to wait 500 seconds in an oven. And I do it too. You know what house, we microwave cheese even though we know it's nasty once it, it's warm for 30 seconds and it melts into like that calcified rubber and we still do it because we don't want to wait. 500 years of waiting. The Advent story is about waiting, praying, and hoping that God is going to do something new. And this is the story we enter into leading up to Christmas. We share in that ancient longing for the coming Messiah. See, the Israelites desired God to bring healing, and we still desire God to bring healing. The Israelites long for a Savior to come and lead them to freedom, and we still long for that freedom today. The Israelites doubted and struggled, but still held on to hope. And we still doubt, and we still struggle, and we still have to decide whether we're going to hold on to hope as well. Yes, in the world as a whole on a global scale, Yes to that global dream of peace when we see this dehumanizing killing in Gaza right now of Palestinian people, of course, but also with you as an individual. See, without the journey of Advent, it's too easy for Christmas to be superficial. 
without the Advent desires and prayers, the birth of Jesus can lose its power and wonder in our lives. Advent is about entering into the waiting and still keeping our hearts open to wait long enough for God to surprise us with something new. Now I'm going to read Exodus 3, 7 through 10. Verse 7, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land and into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you, speaking to Moses, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. This is a song, this is, this is a story about people crying out to God and God hearing them and God seeing them. Right, myself, the first time I really saw this with clarity was, I think it was an old Rob Bell book, Jesus Wants to Save Christians, where he works with the Exodus story a lot. And it's from this story, the Israelites cry out, the oppressed people cry out and God hears them and sees them. And Rob Bell said something like, this is a God who always hears the cries of the oppressed. And maybe even further, this is a God who just always hears the cry. Because first, crying is powerful, right? You ever go into a conversation, an argument, a thing, a potential debate you've already practiced in the shower many times and you're ready to just scrap and you got your bullet points and you're about to go off and then the other person you were planning to debate is really vulnerable and starts to cry and just, you know, shares vulnerably and honestly and their tears dismantle all of your arm takes apart all of your armor dismantles all of your you know protective gear makes you put down your weapons instead of fighting them it's just they start to cry and you're like yeah i know i was hurt and i'm sorry (laughs) it's like the tears the cries were just so powerful they could dismantle even the you know the most angry heart Right? This is a story about the God who sees and hears our cries. The people cried out and God heard. Right, Like I read so long ago in that book, Jesus Wants to Save Christians by Rob Bell and Don Golden. This is a God who always hears the cries of the oppressed. So this is a, maybe it's a God who just always hears our real cries. When we cry out, honestly, God hears that cry. When people cry out, things happen. When we come to the end of our own willpower and strength and we know we're in need of more and it's like that guttural, vulnerable, almost childlike crying out, that's an, perhaps that's an opening for the God who sees and hears and responds. And I do want to say something else. You know, there's a difference between crying and crying out. And I would say this, crying is what happens when you get overwhelmed It could be anything with pain, with joy, with sadness, right? Crying is just what happens sometimes when you get hurt or you're overwhelmed. But crying out 
is what happens when you get overwhelmed or are hurt and still choose to open your heart and trust and believe in a different future. See, you can cry because things are hard without keeping your heart open with hope for a new future. That's why also there's a difference between venting and lamenting, right? Venting is like crying. You know, you're just frustrated. I'm going to talk, I'm going to talk shit about this. I'm going to get frustrated. I might even cry because I'm overwhelmed, but that doesn't mean that person's open and vulnerable and has hope for a different way. They're just, sometimes we're just frustrated and we just vent, right? And that's how we do that. But you can, that's, we can cry, but crying out or lamenting, that's feeling the fullness of what is, but still courageously keeping your heart open. That's a, that's a different thing. The courage to cry, but the courage to cry out is the courage to keep the heart open and to hope even in the midst of the overwhelming pain that's there. That is what crying out is. So for Advent, the Israelites were waiting. You're waiting. The Israelites were wanting God to make things right. You want God to make things right in your life. Which leads us to a very important question. What are you crying out for right now? If you really took a risk and were honest, what do you really want from God, from life? Right? So often people are sharing about life and it's complex and overwhelming. And in those moments, just to ask the question, what do you want? Clarifies so much, right? Maybe, maybe Advent is confronting our niceness. Maybe Advent confronts our pleasantries. Maybe Advent challenges all of the ways we're just going through the motions. Maybe Advent's an invitation to, to figure out what you really desire to see change. Maybe Advent's asking you, where do you really need something new to happen? Just like the Israelites needed something new to happen, 500, that 500 year gap between the coming of the, coming of the, the new king. Maybe Advent is challenging you to stop going through the motions and to wake up and say out loud, what is it that you really long for in this world and in your life right now? Maybe this season Advent is God asking, what do you really want? Not two feet deep. Oh, I want this or that. No. What do you really want? Not just four or five feet deep. Oh, I wish that was a bit easier. No. What do you really want? What even, what do you want that even feels impossible that you stopped allowing yourself to want because it just doesn't seem like it'll ever happen? What do you really want? Right? This is the moment we have to suspend judgment and practice that non-judgmental awareness to actually hear the sound of our own voice and the truth of our own desires. That's really hard to do. You know, it's hard to even answer the question, what do I want? Because if I were to say it, you might think, well, I know that'll never happen, so I don't even say it. Or, I know that's impossible, so I won't even think it. Or I know it would require that, and that requires this amount of money, and I don't have it in those resources, so I don't know. But besides the process, besides trying to have control, besides trying to say what won't work, that we begin with the desire, we begin with the cry. What are you crying out for? What do you really want if you are honest? Sometimes we have to pause and get back to the depths of our real desires 
to hear the sound of our own voice and to hear the sound of God's voice that's so closely connected with the depths of those desires. I'll tell you a story when uh, I was so, so happy and grateful when I fully officially got my first publishing deal. And I grew up like playing it cool my whole life, right? One of my greatest defense mechanisms growing up was just pretending not to care, right? That's not everybody's issue, but when you have it, it's such a strong thing, right? You play it cool. You pretend not to care. Nothing bothers you. Nothing matters. It's just all whatever. Nothing's a big deal. And I'll show you how that worked out. When I was young and growing up into my teenage years, people always tried to put leadership responsibility on me. And I would always reject it. Right? Why? Because I was too cool to care. I'm too clever and cool to really, really try and give my heart to something. Right? It's when I was young, I would act like being a leader was lame and corny. Right? It's like, Someone encouraging the team in sports, you know, like, come on, guys, like, we got this. Let's keep fighting. We, Even though we're down, we can come back. And in my head, when I would hear people like that, I'm like, shut your ass up. And I'm just like, dude, we're, we're getting destroyed. We're not going to win. Like, it's like if someone had the courage to try to uplift the team, I would immediately just make fun of them in my head. Right. So, uh, the cynicism is just fear with a cool outfit on acting like it doesn't care. And of course, looking back, eventually say in my 20s, I could look back and and see that really, even though I was playing it cool and pretending not to care, I was really just scared. Right? Scared to really care about something. Scared to truly put my heart in the line and want something and risk failure and risk disappointing people who are close to me. Like, it's in my life, it's a really, really hard for me to allow myself the freedom to really try and really care, right? Or really, really want to be honest about what I really want and to be honest with the public about I really want this and I care about it. And that's something I've had to courageously work to overcome and transcend for the past 10 to 15 years or whatever, right? Not not just go through the motions, but distance myself emotionally. Like, I don't really care. It's not that big a deal. No, when I'm leading, it is a big deal. And I do care when I'm creating this, this is a big deal. And I really tried and I really care about this. Like it takes a lot for me to live that out and be that. And when I finished my first book in the end of 2020, and I, I really wanted to get a publishing deal. Like I really wanted that. And I just looked back at my Instagram yesterday and in December 27th of 2020, you can look it up. I posted on my Instagram, like just the working title of the book, which ended up changing, but it was just like a screenshot basically of like the, of my word document. And I put it out there. You know, I said, I'll worry about publishing later, blah, blah, blah. But I finished this first book and, you know, maybe I don't remember exactly, but I feel like that was the beginning of like me really putting it out there, you know, not holding back, not hiding what I really wanted, 
I didn't wait till I had the conclusion of, guess what, everybody? I just got my first publishing deal with Choir. Yay. It was, no, I'm doing this and I really want this even before I know I'm going to get it. And that was me owning my desires. That was me really trying. That was me being honest even when I didn't have control of the process or know the conclusion. And then after that, then I did the hard work. You know, like trying to message people and work hard to get a publishing deal. I used to call it throwing rocks at the moon. That's how impossible it felt. Emailing people, reading, going through so many of my old books, finding people, thanking their agents, getting the agent's name, looking for emails, looking at where they're at, going on this website. Oh, if you have 20,000 Instagram followers, you can public, you can share your book proposal here. If you have less than that, you do it here. I'm like, oh, okay. And learning about platforms and knowing you don't have a big platform and things feeling hopeless and just spending all this time to submit this and just assuming you're never going to hear back. Like I would tell my wife, Hey, I'm going to go in the room and throw rocks at the moon for about an hour and a half or something. Cause that's how it felt until the day finally came when I knew, when I knew for sure it was just solidified and everything happened. I had this publishing deal. I was leaving for New York the next day for an event and my kids were like napping in the afternoon or something. And it's the most corniest, but a beautiful moment where I put on the Alicia because I was going to New York the next day, which felt like a threshold moment because I was going through a transition in my life. So New York was more than just New York. But I put on Alicia Keys. I talked about it earlier. Her empire state of mind, you know, in New York. That's me trying again. And, uh, it's not the version with Jay-Z. She has her own piano version on, on one of her albums. And I just listened to that song in my AirPods while my kids were like going down for a nap. I was laying on their floor and I just laid there in tears by myself and just let it all hit me of like what I really wanted is here right now. You know, and I had this great trip and I listened to that song almost on repeat when I was there in New York. But that was me being honest about what I wanted when it, honestly, that's a hard thing for me to do. It's been always been a hard thing for me to do. It takes so much courage for me to be honest about something I really care about and really want to try at and with the fear of failure, disappointing people. And it's hard to be honest about what we want, but Advent is an invitation beyond the pleasantries, beyond the quick answers to really get into our gut be like, man, I still really want this for my life. I still really want this for my relationships. I still really desire this, this relationship, this deeper connection, this creative thing, this other job, like more for my marriage, more for my relationship, more for my relationship with that family member. I don't like, for, I want more for my work life, right? Like, Advent is about what do I really want in those spaces? And maybe Advent challenges us to cry out for the things that seem impossible. Because the story of back then of the God who entered into the waiting is still the same story of the God who enters into our waiting and wanting today. God is still doing the impossible. God is still shaking our lives up. God is still at work in this world and in your life in big ways and in small ways that are really the big ways. 
So during this Advent season, why not take a risk and invite the Spirit to do new things in your life? Why not invite the Spirit to enter into the open door of your heart that got opened because you had the courage to say, I still really want this. Why not? Advent is the time to pray audacious prayers, to ask for the impossible, to believe that the infinite possibilities lying within Jesus open us up to the infinite possibilities that are lying within us in our world today. This is the season to ask for big things. This is the season to allow yourself to dream of things that are beyond what you think are possible. Advent is the season to refuse to just go through the motions and to be honest in that deep guttural way about where you're at, about having the courage to acknowledge what you desire and to have that deep internal tenacity to cry out to the God who sees and hears our cries. That place of, I know it's hard to hold on. I know it's hard to stick around and to wait and to keep wanting. I know it's hard to choose the courageous path of honesty and authenticity instead of giving up, numbing, medicating, isolating, shutting down. Of course, I know that, but it's worth it. And God is faithful and God sees and God hears. And this is not over Right? It's in the place of uncertainty. It's in the depths of struggle while you're waiting and trying to be patient. It's when the bridge crumbles and you're on the edge. It's in the unknowing where we're reminded that true life comes when we're willing to admit we've reached the end, we've given up, we've let go, and we're willing to die to our desires to figure it all out and be in control. And we can just be honest about where we're at and what we really want. It's almost like you have to lose your life to find it which I believe Jesus talked about. So what would your life look like during Advent and the rest of the year during this waiting if you were actually honest about what you want and you believed God was actually making a way with you and will go as you go on that path? How much more would you risk? How much more, what, what would you create? What conversations would you have? What would you let go of and move on from? How much more would you enjoy? How much more could you be there for those around you? How much more could you allow others to be there for you? So let's not waste Advent and the rest of the year. Let's not jump to plans. Let's not jump to uh, resolutions. Let's start with what's deeper. What Advent is, maybe Advent is God asking you, what do you still really want? want.